Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are talking about Minute 67, which begins with Jesse looking around the woods, and it ends with Jesse running from the bikies. So, like I said yesterday, we're picking up exactly where we dropped off. Jesse has returned to the woods from the beach, and she's looking around for Toby, who has gone missing. Um, By the way, we named the dog Toby because no one else would. (laughs) but as we're listening to the sounds of the forest we're starting to hear things that just don't sound right to me it sounds like we hear a pretty good like high-pitched howl almost like something is happening to toby yes and that's actually not what i heard the the first several times I listened to it on my own, uh, preparing for this, I kind of assumed that it was the gang. We know that they like to use animal noises as intimidation. Mm -hmm. Specifically, they have done it to her before. It would make sense that they use that same tactic now to intimidate her playing mind games, which they love to do. And it definitely sounds like something that they would pull out of their bag of tricks, being in the middle of the forest to do some sort of high-pitched howl. Yes, But listening to it after your suggestion that it's Toby, I think now I agree with you, which makes me very worried Mm -hmm. because those are not natural dog noises. No. They are noises from a dog who is seriously in distress. Devil's advocate on that point, we need to take Toby's sound effects with a grain of salt because they already had Toby when he was playing with Kundalini's hand. Making whimpering noises. Yeah. Which is not an accurate... Mischaracterizing what a dog would actually sound like when he plays with a severed hand. Yes. So I'm not sure that we can really trust dog sound effects to be accurate to what they intend to be communicating to us. Yeah. So I'm I'm just going to keep that in mind because it definitely sounds like a dog in serious distress and I don't want to think about that. Yeah. It's uh, not pleasant. No. That idea. So... Jesse is scoping out the scene, trying to figure out where Toby went, trying to make sense of all the things that she's hearing in the forest. And we're going to see this minute specifically a lot of cuts. And it's not quite as many cuts as when the Acolytes were tearing apart the Chevy way back ago when Goose was still alive. (laughs) But I feel like when the Acolytes are involved, we start seeing a lot more cuts yes. a lot more angles and as their behavior accelerates and gets more intimidating or more violent the more cuts we see mm-hmm. and back in the chevy scene the cuts were used to communicate to us mm-hmm. i think very specifically and very directly they were used to communicate to us what it was like for lair and his girlfriend mm-hmm. inside the car and like kind of what they were perceiving in this frenzy I think they do the same thing in this scene with her through the woods. As we progress through the minute, there's cuts between Jesse. She starts running. She she trips and falls. She continues running and cuts in in between of various levels of being able to see the bikers running through the woods. And what I like about this scene 
is how it uses those cuts strategically to kind of put us in Jesse's shoes in the idea of seeing shadows in the woods. Because a lot of the times when we get these shots, not every time that we're looking at trees are we also looking at a biker. Right. There are some times we're looking at trees and they're just trees. Exactly. It's as if nothing is wrong. And unfortunately, no, maybe fortunately, a lot of the times that Jesse is looking behind her at the trees... She's not actually seeing anything. Right. A lot of the bikers that we're seeing, a lot of the ones that we're seeing, I should emphasize, they're kind of off to the side. It's not like they're directly behind her. Yeah. It's like, and I think you made a comment about this off microphone, it's like the actors and the cameramen and all that are not even together. That Jessie is in her part of the forest at her time doing her scenes and the bikers running around... And doing their thing at a completely separate time. Mm -hmm. We never see them together. Right. As far as the Acolytes and Jesse in the woods, they never actually meet. It's a lot of suggested pursuing. And it kind of begs the question, if they're technically there at all, like, could us seeing the Acolytes be a a suggestion that Jesse is still worried about them being out yes. there. Could it be a product of her paranoia? Exactly. Because we're going to get to a point where she gets back to the farm and suddenly Toe Cutter and all his lieutenants are there at the farm too without running into anybody else. And this is not something that I necessarily entertained while I was was prepping for this minute. Mm-hmm. I always took it at face value. Okay, we're seeing them in the woods, so they must just be in the woods. Right, but we don't have to take it at face value. It's a movie. Exactly. It could just be a suggestion. Yeah. It could be that just... This is how she's feeling. Yeah, she's... she's feeling like she's being chased and surrounded, and she's panicking. Yeah, she's played off the severity of what happened at the ice cream shop, and... This is just kind of her subconscious worry and doubt and, for lack of a better term, paranoia sneaking in. It's very, very interesting. Now, there's a detail that crops up in tomorrow's minute that makes a definite case for the bikers actually being in the woods. Mm -hmm. That this isn't all merely suggestion, but... As we go through this minute with the cuts and the angles and where the bikers are showing up, you don't get a good sense of geography. And I know that a Mad Max movie not giving us a good sense of geography is nothing new and it's not nothing brown, groundbreaking. Yeah, but in this scene, it's unsettling. Yeah, exactly. It's all the, about the putting un- you off balance. The uncertainty of the geography is like another character in this scene. Mm-hmm. We feel just as unsure about what's going on as Jesse does. And we perhaps have more information, but as we've just discussed, that information may not be reliable. Exactly. Plus, there's the added fact, and I said this yesterday, it takes her 30 seconds to get to the beach. And it takes her way longer to get back to the farmhouse. Mm -hmm. I guess you could kind of crop that up to time flies when you're having fun and when she's walking down to the beach she's feeling fine and fancy free whereas here she's distressed and so everything is a lot more fight or flight yes where she's hyper focused on everything but at the same time as a viewer it kind of feels like she ends up running in circles or gets lost a little bit because we don't know where she's running to like we assume it's the farmhouse Like, we assume she's running specifically to get back to the house where she came from. But we don't have any sort of indication that she's running in the right direction. We don't. And I think we've decided 
in previous minutes that she is new to this area, that Max is the one familiar, mm-hmm. and that she is new. So she may not exactly know which way is which. Yeah. Her taking and, a wrong turn is entirely possible. Yes. And very, it, that's very scary, especially when you have the feeling that you're being followed and then you start to panic and you start to run. Mm-hmm. And in that panic, it matters a little less which direction you're running in, as long as you're using that adrenaline to run. To move. Yeah. yeah. And fight or flight doesn't specify where you're flying to. Exactly. As long as you're flying away, then you're satisfying that fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And speaking of flight, so Jesse is running through the woods. <laughs> And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she trips on something and falls down into, like, pine needles or something like that. Yeah, a a nice soft bed of fallen, dried-out pine needles. Yeah. It's not the fall that stands out to me. It's the... It's the trip. (laughs) Like... Yeah. The circumstances of her hitting the ground are inconsequential to the transition period of her running to her falling. Because it just seems a little played up. (laughs) Now, do you think that was her acting wasn't fantastic? Or do you think it was the editing? We've seen some funky cuts before. I think as good as some scenes are with their cuts, there are also ones that are really not great. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure how strategic cutting could have saved this trip. Because... She's running, 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 and then it almost looks like she does a little, like, hop and, like, turns her body to the side, kind of like a side leap. Yeah. Like they said, okay, (laughs) it's like they said, okay, Joanne, what you're going to do is you're going to run, you're going to do a little hop leap, you're going to land on your back on this mattress that we have behind the camera. Yeah. She's like, okay. And so she runs, and she does a little hop and spin, and and no one said, okay, that looked a little bit too much like a hop spin. Maybe let's go do it again. Yeah, maybe she just needed more practice. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit more time doing believable stage falls. I don't know. As someone who doesn't have a ton of experience with stage falls, I know I'm kind of like nitpicking. <laughs> but in my defense... If we nitpicked about only things that we had extensive personal experience on, there would be no podcasts ever. Exactly. Exactly. I see. I'm trying to think. Podcasts that deal specifically with my experiences. I don't know. I feel like a Stephen King movie. Maybe like one set up in the New England area. Like Stand By Me. Palling around with friends as a kid. Doesn't matter. Total tangent. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I fell into a hole. Which kind of like what Joanne Samuel does. She just yeah. falls. I guess you could say... Looking at the way she falls, if her foot caught on one of those roots that is kind of loose, you know. Her, yeah, she could be... have kind of gone up and kind of into the air a little bit. Exactly. You can explain away the strategy that she used to initiate this trip and whatnot. It just, I, I cannot separate myself from this belief that it looks silly. <laughs> And you almost want to, like, put in some sort of silly banana peel sound effect as she's going down just because it would fit so well. Wow, this really stuck in your craw, didn't it? It really did. Just right in there. It did not bother me at all. (laughs) Um, I thought that she was pretty darn lucky that she didn't impale herself on a branch or something. Mm. I have spent my fair share of time in the woods. And, like, the number one way that I've ever gotten hurt is by getting poked in the eye by a branch because I didn't see it and I walked into it. Stuff like that. Mm. 
or you trip and fall and you land on a branch. Yeah. Especially pine forests like this one that have quite a covering of pine needles. Things are hiding under those pine needles. Rocks and sticks that if you fell on them are going to hurt you. Yeah, although I mean, you're not exactly the poster child for not falling. Don't make that face. You know it's true. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> trying to think of times i've fallen um there wasn't in the woods i say there was that one time we visited ground zero in new york i fell flat on my face just (laughs) randomly (laughs) okay if you ever visit ground zero in the area of the fountains that outline where uh the world trade centers were be careful where you walk because the ground slopes a little bit and as it slopes down there's a step that like gradually becomes taller and taller And if you're not watching where you look, all of a sudden you're going to step down a step and you're going to fall flat on your face. Mm. Yes. Julia learned that the hard way. (laughs) I'm just grateful that I was not wearing my glasses glasses. I was wearing sunglasses because they got scratched. Yeah. Okay. Where were we? So Joanne Samuel has just done a hilarious pratfall. She lands (laughs) on something soft and she kind of turns over rather quickly and sits up to see what's around her and of course in this instance we get one of those shots where it's nothing but just trees yes there's no one there i think this kind of backs up your hypothesis that this is all in her head Mm -hmm. because as soon as she gets back up on her feet and starts running again we get another shot of bikers in the woods yes it's almost like her running through the forest and the sounds of her running is probably being being amplified as her maybe hearing other people in the woods. Yes, like her her I mind is playing tricks see on her. That happening. Um, yeah, I can. De- I I really like that theory. Yeah, uh, that this is all in her head, and I mean her panic. I I really see that as being true. Mm. Yeah, I I, like I definitely don't want to fully commit to it though. No, because, because there we still, are. The end of this minute does not conclude this scene. Exactly. We have more to learn. Yeah. And we know at the very least that there were bikers up on the cliff. Yes. Like, I think we can definitively say... That there are bikers there in that area. That were keeping an eye on her. Yes. Now, I think we kind of skimmed over it, but backing up uh, maybe 20 seconds or so, it's right after she ditches the umbrella and the bag... Yep. She turns around to look behind her again, and I think this time she actually sees somebody. Like the shadowy boot moving behind the tree? Yes. And it's quick, and it's only one person. Going along with this theory that we're developing of it all being in her head, we also know that Benno is out there. Right. So the one time that she actually saw somebody could have been Benno. Yeah, which totally makes sense. That it could have been him because yeah, he's not the, the fastest runner or anything like that, but he's a big guy mm-hmm. and he probably makes a lot of noise when he moves. Yes. And Jesse might be running in the wrong direction. Yes. And so he might be, he might be in his simple ways trying to help her. Or thinking that they're playing a game. Ah. We're going to run into Benno rather, uh, rather literally tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> um. So you think it's possible that Benno was out in the woods, which we know that he was, mm-hmm. playing. Yeah. He probably thought they were playing a game like right. tag or hide like, and seek or something like that. Yes. Something innocent. Yes. And so he was creating noises that she caused her to panic and caused her to like her imagination ran wild. Mm-hmm. Like in reality, there's only the sound of one person running through the woods. But in her head, 
she's being surrounded and stalked yeah. by this biker gang that she has reason to believe might be after her. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I hmm. I love the idea. I love the idea of it. And not just because I thought it up. But <laughs> I love the idea of it just because it adds a very ethereal aspect to this scene. Yes. That I don't think I ever really saw there before. <clears throat> but at the same time, there are just evidences that they really are out there. Yes. Um, and I don't think... And I mean, we're all going to... We're going to get I... into that tomorrow. I don't yes. want to like stray too far out of this minute. Thinking back to the movie so far, the previous 66 minutes, I don't think there has ever before been a situation or a scene that we weren't meant to take literally. Right. So why should that change here? Mm -hmm. Which I got to say, going back to what I think is the intended idea that the biker gang is actually chasing her through the woods. Mm -hmm. I mean, we might have touched on this yesterday, but they're not actually closing in on her. No. They seem to just be following close enough to be a bother or yes, to just frighten to, her. Yeah, just to cause fright. Yeah. They do seem to have some sort of master plan. Mm -hmm. It's not like they were unable to catch her, therefore they caught up with her at the house. That was their plan, was to frighten her and play with her in the woods. And then when everyone got back to the house, okay, now down to business. Mm -hmm. And still, even when they're at the farmhouse, there is some a little bit of playfulness. Yeah, kind of like a cat playing with a mouse. Yes, where the mouse is going to end up dead in the end, no matter what. So the mouse is having a good time with it. Yeah, I find it interesting that as they're pursuing Jessie through the woods, they're not hurting her somewhere away from the farmhouse. Yeah, I mean, she does end up at the farmhouse. Mm -hmm. It's possible she took the long way to get there, but she does end up there. Yeah, and I mean, by the time she gets back to the farmyard, she is exhausted. Yeah, which does kind of tell you, well, the fight or flight, once that adrenaline wears off, you're exhausted. You get, That's you a good crash. Point. So, or she took such a long way that she was exhausted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing I definitely want to bring up, after Jesse trips and falls, she gets up and starts running again. And probably about 10 seconds later, she's running through the woods. Oh, and yeah. And just out of nowhere, so pigeons weird. spring from the earth and fly up in her face. I don't get it. As I tried a, to find some meaning in this. As I, if a wizard conjured them out of the ether. Just I, pigeons. Yeah. Now, okay. The pigeons that we see in this scene are just common pigeons. Yeah. Pigeons that you will see day in, day out in any urban setting or even any setting where people are dropping bread on the ground. Right. Neither of which are this setting. Yeah. And so the fact that they're out in the middle of the woods is kind of weird. And I kind of justified that by saying, okay, what are trained, what are, what birds are easy to train? Pigeons. Exactly. It's really easy to run out there and say, hey, bring... Two or three pigeons, we're going to put them in a box and then have them fly up in our actress's face. So, like, behind the scenes, I can understand pigeons. But as she's running through the woods, yeah, okay, I get you trip. I don't get sudden flock of pigeons. <laughs> I just, I, it, it seems so out of the blue. Yes. Um, you actually sparked a memory in my head of a book that is called Thornyhold, and it takes place in England in the 50s, Okay, I think. Anyways, 
young woman inherits a house. So she goes to the house and she's, you know, cleaning up. She goes room to room to room to room to clean, cleaning up. Well, she finally makes her way to the attic and finds out that the previous owner, her great aunt, has been keeping pigeons up there. And oh, the pigeons that's not a good thing to discover long after the fact. Well, the pigeons had all left because they weren't getting fed. Oh, okay, good. So she <laughs> cleans up because it's, you know, a pigeon... Is there a name for it? A pigeon... Like a coop? I guess so. I'm sure there's a better name for it, but I'm going to call it a pigeon coop. So they, yeah, they had all found other places to eat. So she cleans up, starts feeding them, and that one, like, one by one, they start to return. Okay. So, and the the way the book described this, it made it seem like a fairly common thing, a very British thing, to keep pigeons in your attic. Like, just keep a window open, you feed them, and then they, like, come live with you. Like, they're your pigeons. Yeah. And, you know, you you get to know which ones are yours, and you recognize them. So I think maybe it's possible that at May's farm, she's done the same thing. That she keeps pigeons. Yeah. There's really nothing keeping her from just having pet yeah. pigeons as well. She's already got a whole farm. Right. What's a few more a- so animals? <laughs> that might explain the presence of the pigeons. The situation of the pigeons, I think, is bizarre. How it's obviously there was a box on the ground. They timed it. Pulled the box open. Pigeons flew up in her face. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> it doesn't slow her down that much. Um, I could see that if it slowed her down enough to make a difference between her getting away and not getting away, but that's not the case. Mm. She gets away. I kind of see it as just another instance of a jump scare. Okay. Because earlier in the minute, we kind of get a POV camera shot coming up behind Jessie and she spins around suddenly. Yes, you think there's going to be somebody there, but mm-hmm. there's not. It's a and false then, jump scare. And then we see her trip in the middle of the woods and she lands and there's nothing there. Right. It's another A series false... of these surprising things happening yeah. that are building tension. I I see the theory. I see the film theory of that. Mm-hmm. I just don't... I don't feel it. Yeah. I don't feel like tension is built by... The pigeons. Yeah, I feel like the scene is tense because of the pursuing bikers. Yes. And that these little instances where she slows down, yeah, they don't really add much for me. Although, can I just say that if it had been a crow that had like flown up in her face and she had ran into, I would have flipped a lid. Like that would have been perfect. Yeah. The symbolism would have been amazing and I would have just flipped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- I wish that it had been a crow. I was about to say, crows are everywhere. How hard can they be to put in a box? Yeah, all I'm just going <laughs> to do is pull the string, open the lid, let it go. Yeah. But the, yeah, the, the cues that we have learned to expect the bikies with the crow, and I just think it would have been perfect. Yeah. I Maybe too perfect, maybe a little on the nose. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if this entire film, instead of us being trained to associate the sound of a crow with the bikers if we were trained to associate the cooing of pigeons with the bikers (laughs) like they're tearing apart the chevy they're pulling larry and his girlfriend out of the car and all of a sudden we hear just like that would have been completely different yes much less intimidating yeah there's something about the sharp caw of a crow yeah that just Mm. It just instantly connects your mind with to everything that those birds represent. Yes. You know, scavenging and picking apart the bones of dead things and whatnot. Yep. Just gross. 
Okay, so yeah, after Jesse runs after into the, the pigeons, pigeons um, we do actually get a really good shot of mud guts, which yes, which I thought was actually the creepiest shot of the bikers in the woods mm-hmm. because it's quick. He's like running to the side, he's like darting behind a tree or something, and his form isn't exactly human necessarily because he's kind of crouched. Yeah, he's crouched low down. His arms are spread wide, and his shirt is. Like, baggy and billowy. Yeah. And then he's got his blue face mask on. Mm. So the whole thing is very quick and very, like, inhuman. Yeah. And I thought that was the creepiest. Of all these shots, that was the creepiest. I think of the shots that we've seen so far, I think the creepiest one that I can pick out is probably the one we saw yesterday, where it's just Toe Cutter and Bubba, like, standing really still. That is a very good one. Because Toby was looking at him type of thing. Yep. And they were just frozen, half hidden by the trees. Yeah. That was a good one. I thought they did a really good job of telling us to be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it makes me worried. It it makes me not want to go for a walk in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because somebody is out there chasing me with no face. Yeah. I love that they kept their helmets on. It dehumanized them. It it made them, you couldn't identify them up to the intimidation factor and the creepiness factor. I think it's genius that they all kept their helmets on. Yeah, it's a very good sequence. I feel like Jesse going to the beach and walking through the woods to get back to the farm, I think it's a good sequence. I'm not sure if it retains as much impact when we cut it up into minutes like this. Yes. But when you look at it, and we haven't even reached the hole yet. Right, we're not done yet. Like, we've still got more wood stuff tomorrow. But I think it definitely is better when you have the whole pie. Yes. Instead of just a slice. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. I agree. So, we are going to finish that pie tomorrow and just uh, take another step closer to one of the best scenes in this entire movie. Absolutely. (laughs) I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, so we just need to finish out this week specifically, and then next week we're going to have some fun, for sure. In the meantime, our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook, and join our listeners page, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 67. We'll see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and leather men, take me to the end of the dream. Hold on tight, so it sure feels right.